Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 3. We're the last church in Revelation chapter 3. And uh, we are looking at these letters to really kind of seek God's wisdom and the Lord's direction for our church. We, we look at how he has evaluated other churches and what he had to say to them. We want to, we want to receive that message that would apply to them also and examine ourselves in light of that. This is a, I think it's always a serious time when you open God's word. And it's always a serious time when you open God's word with the intention of seeking his will and his direction. And so we, we want to ask him to bless this time to that end. So let's do, let's ask him to give us his wisdom this morning in these few moments that we have together. Father, this is a time of introspection, of self-examination. It is a time in which we stand before you and uh, we open your word, which is, we understand from scriptures, God breathed. It comes to us as if it were just coming right from your, your mouth and your lips. It does, and it is your truth. It's written in black and white, but it is the eternal word of the living God. We thank you for your communication. We thank you for your love and mercy. Pray that you'll help us to apply these things to our lives, and that we would be moldable, and that you would form us more and more into what you want us to be. And I guess, selfishly, we want to see the, the church grow in size and influence and we would like to be part of seeing the name of the lord jesus honored and glorified through this this body and so i pray that you would help us to do that and help us to be effective and just make us make us very usable in your hand as you and revelation are walking among the churches and examining them we want to hear what you have to say to us here this morning and I pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. The seven letters, we have seven churches we have here on this, this uh, form here. And notice we're at the very last church, the church of Laodicea. It's at the very end of the postal route. If you start at Ephesus and go up and back down on the other side, it's at the very end of that. And so it's the last church that we're looking at. And the church of Laodicea is that church which I... I, I think there are a lot of churches that would identify with it without realizing it. It's a church that um, struggled. It was wealthy. It had everything it needed. It was um, possessing the, the financial aid and everything. And we'll see that as we get into it. But um, they didn't realize that they were destitute. They didn't realize that they were um, outside of, of the real fire the real work of god and uh so that's a that's a sad case that's a sad situation if you are a church or a believer and you're in involved in the lord's work but you're ignorant of what needs to be done that's a sad sad case and we'll look at that the church itself um was probably established by paul uh, when he was in ephesus it, it talks about the fact that his ministry uh, had reached out to all of Asia, and so, it, it, and because the churches all gathered together in that kind of that area, it seems to be pretty certain that 
that the church was influenced by the Apostle Paul. Um, Paul said in Colossians, um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, that he had not personally visited that church, that they had not, uh, he uses the phrase, have not personally seen my face. And uh, he, he makes it clear, uh, according to Colossians, that um, the co-worker of Paul, Epaphras, uh, founded the church at Colossae, and since Laodicea and Colossae were Laodicea and Colossae were close together, it's most likely that uh, Epaphras was also influential in helping to start the church and the work there in Laodicea. Um, and uh, so we that's that's our guess. We don't know for sure, but we do know that it was there in that area with the other churches, and these were very influential. The, the church is located in the city. Uh, the city was one of a triad of three cities close by. They're not the cities, not the churches here, but there are cities that were close to Laodicea. There was the uh, uh, Colossi, Colossi, which was 10 miles, uh, Hariopolis, which was six miles from the church, and uh, it was located. And then uh, all these three of these in Laodicea, all three of these cities were kind of like a we talk like a triad that was some of the terminology that was used in one of the commentaries and so uh they were they were pretty close together they were grouped together and uh, but laodicea was the one that seemed to be standing out and was the one that had the the uh, letter written to him and uh, it was uh, it's in this this southwestern most part of the of all the churches there and about 40 miles from philadelphia uh, it was on a plateau, situated on a plateau of several hundred feet, which made the city itself kind of impregnable to attacks. However, there was a, because it was the elevation, this water supply was pumped in by way of underground aqueduct. And during times of, of uh, attack or whatever, the enemy could cut off that water supply and the city did not do well. So it was elevated, protected by its geographical location, but it was very vulnerable if you could cut off the water supply. And of course that's true uh, in any kind of battle or warfare. Hitler, one of the great things that he lost right away was he ran out of fuel in the war, didn't have any fuel to supply his tanks and his armies and stuff. So anyway, uh, the, the city itself was served as a judicial seat uh, in the district, and uh, it was a uh, for that reason there was a strong Roman influence. It was uh, located at the junction of two important roads, one east and west, that went from Ephesus to the interior, and then there was a north and south road. And there is mention uh, in the scripture of traveling from Ephesus uh, west, and it didn't mention the name of the road, but that's what it would have to be that road going through Laodicea. And it had uh, commerce. Like Sardis, uh, Laodicea was a wealthy, very wealthy city. Uh, Sardis had made a lot of wealth through its gold and gold coinage, coining money and stuff like that. And Laodicea had its wealth that was gained through, um, there were many, a number of businesses there that did real well. And because of that, there was a prosperous banking industry that developed. And uh, so Laodicea had a, a very, impressive financial base with these with the banks and other businesses 
So much so that Cicero, who was a Roman, uh, who was a philosopher, mentioned uh, that he had some like cashier's checks that he wanted to bank and put into the bank. And uh, he chose the banks there in Laodicea to put his money and to invest in. Um, the, there was an earthquake in AD 60 in that area that did a, did a lot of devastation. There was a lot of damage in Laodicea as well as in the surrounding cities and, and country. But that earthquake, the uh, Rome stepped in to try to help these cities recover from that damage, the earthquake. Laodicea refused to help. They had the money themselves and they wanted to do it themselves. And in fact, not only did they refuse the help of Rome to help them build up, restore their, their city, but they also helped a lot of other neighboring cities financially. So they were really pretty well off and uh, they did well. One of the big products of industry there was wool. They had a very soft, black, glossy wool cloth and it was very popular. And their, their particular wool was supposed to be the best around. It was very, and it was a, it was a big industry. Uh, it was also a center for medicine in the sense that there was a, um, a famous school there in that area that made um, an eye salve that was very effective in helping people with sore eyes and dry eyes and things like that. And that became also a big product. And that school became a, fa a pretty famous school. Uh, and they, they uh, the physicians there in that school followed the teaching of Hariophilus who had advocated a compound, uh, advocated that compound diseases required compound medicines mixing together rather than just one particular herb or whatever. They made a compound out of it and it was very successful. And uh, this well, this ISAB that was pretty well known was developed by the physicians in this school and became pretty, pretty popular. There was a Jewish population there and the Jewish population uh, it's not mentioned a lot in historical terms other than the fact that they were uh, pretty well off and they did pretty well. And that's not uncommon. A lot of Jewish people move into businesses and areas and do real, really well. Uh, the one that's writing the letter, and this is where I want to slow down and, and uh, because it's important, the Lord is the one that's communicating to the church, just like he's the one that we want to hear from today. And he speaks to the church here and uh, usually the Lord is identified by attributes that are seen as he is revealed in that vision there in the early part of John. He's revealed to John and John turns and sees him and describes him and usually one or two of those attributes are listed. But in this case, uh, he is not introduced by those attributes. He is just introduced by three divine titles. He is called in verse 14b, if you're interested in following along, he's called the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And he is the one that is speaking to the church. That is, in my thinking, uh, a very, very, very astounding reality to know that the Lord of the glory, God in flesh is interested in my church and wants to bother with communicating to me. He, he wants to speak to me, he wants to communicate to me. And if he wants to communicate, I better listen. Because this is a very significant 
spokesman speaking to those who are in dire need of his mercy and his grace. And so uh, he's speaking and he calls himself, first of all, here the amen, the, the amen uh, from the Hebrew word that relates to truth. Um, when it talks about the amen, that's speaking of that's true or affirmation to affirm something that is said uh, as being true or to the certainty of what is going on. That, that word amen has to do with all of those terms and applied here to the Lord, uh, it seems to establish the spokesman here as one who is firm, uh, one who is fixed, uh, he is unchangeable, he is unalterable, uh, he is immovable. Uh, Peter's name, I know because my name is Peter, means rock, and the Lord chose him and said that you are this small rock, but are this large rock, speaking of all the apostles, I will build my church upon them as a foundation. Uh, that's, the ability is important, but especially important when the one is the Lord himself. And he is identifying himself as the amen. He's identifying himself as the one who is the affirmation of what God is saying and what God is doing. And uh, so he is the, the veritas, if you will. He's the truth par excellence. And uh, so this is a kind of a descriptive title. And it's a good title for us to think about when the Lord is speaking to see that he is the truth. He is the affirmation of what God is saying, what God is doing and what he has done. And it's important that we accept that, it's important that we understand who he is. And uh, he is the one who affirms the, the, the truthfulness of what God has said. And uh, God has promised and it's all said and promised through this man to us. So that's important. Jesus said, I am the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and uh, we want to hear what he has to say. He is in 2 Corinthians, a passage that perhaps is a good one to remember. He says in 2 Corinthians, talking about, uh, he's talking about the Son of God, Christ Jesus, the one that was preached among you by us, by me, to us, by us, by me, Paul is saying, and Sylvanus and Timothy, this one is not to us yes and no, that is not just wishy-washy, but he is yes, that the answers and the abundance and the supply is yes in Christ, yes in him. Christ fulfills all the promises of God to us. All of our confidence in God's promises must come from our trust in Jesus Christ as the one from God whom we know we can rely on. He is the, uh, so you remember, and Pete has mentioned it, and I think it's a good point to remember that the Jews uh, place a lot of confidence in their heritage and the promises that God have made, has made, and uh, they, they look at the Messiah's coming back. But remember that all the promises are tied up in the Messiah. They are available only in him and through him. And so all of the things that we would hope for, the things that the Jews hope for, are only in Christ. And so you need to make sure that you take him seriously. That verse that we're reading about goes on to say, for as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore, also through him, 
is our amen to the glory of God through us. So that Christ, through him, there is God's affirmation, God's standard of truth. You understand what I'm saying? That he is the affirmation of God and what God has said. Now he, uh, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who has sealed us. He gave us his spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So it's in Christ. He is the amen. He is the affirmation. He is the standard of God's truth. And he's the one that's speaking to the church. And we want to hear kind of eavesdrop maybe over the shoulders of that church of Laodicea that was so well off and so wealthy. We want to eavesdrop and hear what he has to say. Second title is the title Faithful and True <coughs> Witness. Uh, this speaks of the, the truthfulness, the reliability to the truth and to the word of God that Christ is. He is truthfulness. Uh, he is uh, God's affirmation. The statement uh, is emphatic and it strengthens the previous title that he is the amen and he is the faithful and true witness. And they kind of build together. They support each other, which is understandable. That's what the scripture is. It's God's word. And we study the scripture in context and we see things that support each other and help us to build and understand the, the truth. In a legal sense, a witness can be um, a witness in a court, a witness to a crime or something like that. But also in a historical sense, that can be a witness that can, can witness not just historical things, but it could be a historical witness to us. We, we read a book that saw things and uh, like Cicero talked about his money that he put into the church in Laodicea when it was, uh, I mean, in the bank in Laodicea. And that can be a witness to us. And then in an ethical sense, the word witness this may sound a little confusing, but it's the same. It's actually the word martus from which we get the word martyr. Uh, and a witness in the early church, you saw John on the Isle of Patmos and others that were people that were that witnessed to and you gave testimony to the Lord and his work often paid for that <coughs> with their lives. <coughs> so being a witness uh, came to mean he was a witness. That is, he gave his life for the gospel which is a way of saying that it is a costly thing, isn't it, to follow the Lord? It really is. And uh, we, we don't, right now, we sort of, I mean, we get shocked at the church in Canada putting people in prison for a little while, or preachers in prison for, for uh, preaching the gospel, or and I think they changed it now, they, that they, if they're trying to preach against or convert LGBT, whatever people, they can be incarcerated for five years, and we, we cringe in horror, but that's nothing compared to what the, the persecution was early on in the days of the early church. That was Death was easy. If you, if you just didn't even say Jesus, Caesar is Lord, you could end up being burned at the stake, you see. So it, it can be costly. <clears throat> Christ, this, is, this speaks to me, and it should speak to you. Christ uh, demands everything from us. He wants to be first place in everything. The reason that bothers me is not because I don't want to give him first place, but I find that I keep wanting to come back and put something else in place of him that I want. I know that's wrong. I know that's bad. I know that's sinful, but there's that, there's that tendency. And so I have to, to really lay that, can I say, on the altar and lay my heart on the altar and say, Lord, I ask you to help 
key to be faithful. I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I can't imagine why you would say that. But I want to hear that. I want to do that. And who is my shepherd? It's the Lord. Who is the one who works in my life? It's the Lord. So I'm trusting you to help me grow and help me mature in these areas. You see what I'm saying? This is really, really important. So here is this one who is the faithful and true witness. Um, he is the every he is the embodiment of everything God has to say to us. And um, he is the word of God. He is the revelation of God. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the light. He is the faithful witness, as it says in this text. That is, he's faithful to speak and communicate exactly what God says. He is the as Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 1 1, which is the verse you probably were thinking about, uh, the verse starts out God, after he spoke, notice that word spoke, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the world. God in the Old Testament spoke, in the New Testament has spoken. Both of those, by the way, are in past tense, which is telling us that after God spake and we have his word, he's not adding more to it. We're not getting more revelation. We've got a completed canon. We're not getting more. We need to know what he's given to us. We need to study it. We need to obey it. We need to apply it because it's the, our, our communication, our life depends on that. So he is the, the uh, faithful and true trustworthy witness of God. And then the last title is he is the beginning of the creation of God. He is the source of creation. That is an astounding thing. If you turn to Revelation and you see uh, the one sitting on the throne and everything in that scene before the throne, everything except the one on the throne, everything is created by the one on the throne. The, the, the Lord, this, the, the God that's on the throne is there. He is eternal. Everything else has been created by him. Everything else. The whole scene is part of his creation in one sense or another. And he is the, he is the only one. And that object of being the creator, out of you created all things, and by you all things are created, and we give you worship and praise, that becomes a, a focal point of praise to God, that he is the creator. He is the source. He is the initiator. Everything that we see around us was created by him. And he is created, and that's that's a that's a, a, a point of praise. He is the source of creation. Um, some have denied this and and tried to to say that the text says something else, but that's not the case. It does say he is the he is the source of everything that we have. He is the beginning of creation. Uh, the passage we read in Hebrews a minute ago says uh, closes out by saying he is appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the world. He is the creator. He is the source. And Colossians says, by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they are thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so he is the source. And so that's a strong point that so the one standing before the church here is the one who is the the, the, the source of all truth. He is the affirmation of what God says and what God is doing. He is the 
uh, sovereign of the universe and the creator of everything, and he's the one that is speaking to this church in Laodicea. Now, the, the criticism that comes from him about the church, and we'll, this will probably be, we'll probably just stop after this and finish it up later, later, but the criticism he comes, he says this in verse 15. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, as he begins to talk about these things, you got to remember we were we were at the retreat and we were talking about and we kind of got emphasizing that Jesus has done everything and we want him to get all the glory and all the praise and we talk about him and we and against the law and we say the law has nothing to say and we have nothing else to do but the truth is that our deeds do in fact reveal our character the bible's clear about that at the end of the sermon on the mount jesus talked about that by their fruit you shall know them you will know them by their fruit what comes out of their life and you'll do that and uh when he said depart from me i never knew you he he called them workers of lawlessness uh, iniquity there they are involved in lawlessness which has to do with their deeds so your deeds are important and in this case deeds uh reveal character deeds always reveal a person's true character uh the christian works are more than just a list of deeds done they are a testimony to a person's spiritual character and uh so it does it is important one's works bear a record they give a real evidence of one's faith um, uh, Romans 2, which is probably the classic verse on that, just what Paul says in Romans, he says, he talks about rebellious men that are storing up wrath for God's judgment, and he says they will render, who, talking about God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but to those who are unrighteous, wrath and indignation. Now, I realize as I say that, that if you read that, it could sound like he's saying that your deeds, you're working your way into favor with God. That's not the case. What he's saying is your deeds will give evidence as to whether your life is real or not. Okay, your, your deeds will do that. And the scripture talks about the fact that we, faith without works is dead, and that's true. So we need to understand that. Matthew, uh, the passage I mentioned a minute ago, uh, says that uh, Jesus is talking about the, the uh, false shepherds and uh, he said by their fruits and he makes out a plural which I thought was interesting because it's contrary to uh, the fruit of the spirit which is singular but by their fruits by the different things that come out of their lives you'll know them grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles are they that that's a very clear common illustration that's just simply saying you're not going to go to an apple tree and pick a cucumber um, and you're not going to go to a thorn bush and gather fruit the the, the uh, tree the plant is known by the kind of fruit that it bears that is and that's a, and that's what he's saying here in this case here that your life the fruit of your life will tell what what you are so that every good tree bears good fruit and every and the bad tree bears bad fruit a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Nor anyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will you will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father. And he's using this as a parallel here. The, he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many, that word many is instructive. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those happen to be some of the most fearful words, in my opinion, in the New Testament, because these people are people that fit into the evangelical mold. Uh, they'll be in an evangelical church and they feel they've done many They've prophesied in the Lord's name, they've preached in his name, they've been involved in spiritual warfare, casting out demons, and they've performed many signs, which is supposed to confirm the word of the Lord. They've done those things, and Jesus says, get away from me. I don't know you. I have not called you. I don't have that relationship. I don't, I'm not familiar with you. We don't, don't have that relationship. And so that's scary to me. That's scary to me because I don't want to be in that list. It's just it's telling us that, that we want to be sure. You understand? We just want to be certain about our relationship with the Lord. So that's what he's he's telling us. James uh, says something else, which is along that line. He says, uh, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works to confirm that faith, how can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of any food, and one says, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warned and be filled, and yet you do not give him what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it, is have, if it has no works, is dead, being alone or being by itself. So it does matter. Uh, and these, this is important. So uh, in these seven letters, um, all of them except for this letter, the, the writer, the, the Lord begins by talking, first of all, about the, the areas that are good. And then when he finishes the good areas, he goes into the concerns that he has. But here in this a letter to this church there are no good works from the church the church that is wealthy the church that has everything but there are no good works listen listed uh, the good works prove the reality of one's faith but there are no good works and so we we just remember what james says faith without works is dead joy he goes on to appraise their activity he says i know your deeds that you are neither hot neither cold nor neither cold nor hot i wish that you were cold or hot so because you are lukewarm i don't know if you like lukewarm coffee i like mine hot but he says that because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot i will spit you out of my mouth um here's a common kind of a comprehension evaluation comprehensive evaluation of the character of the church uh, the Lord's knowledge of the church is absolute. I know all these things. Hot is a term that describes and is characterized, I think, by spiritual health and uh, fervor. Um, the word there, zestos, is the word that uh, has to do with uh, this, this idea of being hot, taken from the word zeo, which means to boil. And the word uh, is translated, for example, in Acts 18.25 and also Romans 12.11, is translated fervent. So he says you're neither um, 
hot nor cold. Um, and the word means fervent. So he's evaluating, he says, I wish that, that you're not fervent, you're not hot, you're not boiling, and nor are you cold. And that's the discussion there of um, perhaps the temperament, uh, the church. It's not speaking so much of temperament, but of the works that come out of this, this, uh, this church. Um, I think he's just, what he's saying here is that there's no fire. There's no fire in the church. There's no fire. The hot and cold contrast between Christians that are on fire and uh, zealous for him while cold or Christians that are backsliding there, they are actually, I don't think they're saved. I think that, that this is a term that's describing those who are in the church who are doing maybe even church works, but their heart doesn't belong to the Lord. I know that's a severe thing and that, that uh, is a severe statement um we we a lot of times use the phrase carnal christians and we speak of that as being people who are christians but they're just backsliding christians they're carnal christians uh and i could use that for my life because there was a time when i was like a carnal christian but as i look back and look at the scriptures i realized it wasn't that i was a carnal christian it was that i was deceived i wasn't really saved i wasn't really committed to the lord you understand that that's really important to understand that and this is not intended to uh, it does make us mad and we don't like it we don't like to hear these kind of things but the lord is very clear on that he says if anyone wants to follow me to be my disciple no man can do it if he doesn't hate his mother father wife sister brother and his own life also and he goes on to say that if we want to follow him he has to come before our career and stuff like that his his uh following him is a serious matter a very serious matter uh it's something that i think about for my life frequently Paul says we examine ourselves that we sure that we're in the faith and we should do that that's that's really important so um there's not a place and when i was a young christian they talked about you can accept jesus as savior and then later trust him as lord but that's not found in the scripture to embrace jesus as savior the fact is that until he is our Lord, he will not be our savior. He has to be boss. He, he, he doesn't settle for less. He is the, he is the Lord. And uh, it's, a, it's a difficult interpretation to apply, but in this text, it's very clear. Um, lukewarm is the, the uh, one who is cold, who is indifferent, who is, uh, but pretending to be a Christian. The lukewarm is, a, is one who, acts like a Christian who thinks he's okay, he's in the church, but he's really not sold out to the Lord. He's, he's, he's almost like a, a hypocrite, if you will. And uh, so when he talks about cold, I think he's talking about the aggressive hostile hostility against the gospel, a person that is against the gospel is aggressive about it. And he openly, openly admits that he is not really anxious to follow the Lord and to be disciplined. And that's the cold person. The hot person is the person who is saved, who loves the Lord, who loves his people, who is, who is serious about that, who desires to obey the Lord. And uh, the cold person is the person who is openly rejecting and refusing and turning away. And the Lord is saying that I prefer for you to be cold than to be in the church, pretend to be believing. In fact, you may even think you are, like the sermon of the mouth, think you're okay, but you're really not serious you're not committed it's uh, the popular thing to do and just join the, the church country club 
and uh, so that's that's a that's a serious place to be so he says here i know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot i wish that you were cold or hot uh, i wish that that uh, you were either really on fire or you were really cold and would not be fooling yourself or anybody else and uh, but because you are and i need to stop here so we'll finish at this point because you are lukewarm neither cold nor hot i will spit you out of my mouth that's a term he uses it, it uh, in the city this city of, of uh, laodicea that would be a, a kind of a familiar term where the water that came down through the aqueduct would be allowed to be in the hot sun as it came down and would warm up and become lukewarm and when people would drink it they would not like it they would take and spit it out it would not be acceptable and uh, so that, that kind of would, would uh, seem, I think that's the application he's making here. It's a spiritual application. Um, this is a religious church. It's an unsaved church. And Christ says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Um, it's a kind of, and we'll look at that next time. It's a self-centered church, a prideful church. It has everything that they need. Um, You, you are you, you are the source of financial help for people like that that are that are in need you've got everything you don't need any more help you when rome steps in to help you with your earthquake and stuff like that you tell them we can take care of it and uh, this is this is this is where you are and this is your strength now this church and we're going to find out and i i have appraised at the unsaved church but this church i think uh templifies a lot of churches today that are that talk about believing in Jesus and but there's not a real commitment is it's the place to go it's the thing to do uh, to give a little money to the tithe and I see that I have friends that I care for a lot that I think are in that realm Do you understand what I'm saying and I just it, it bothers me what bothers me even more is that I see that I could do that too my heart could be I could be easily uh, sidetracked and become involved in, the bible says love not the world neither things that are in the world if any man loves the world the love of the father is not in Colossians says seek those things which are above which where the son christ sits at the right hand of the father and so we are to pursue those things we are to seek those things and not to love the world and those things and you see i can see an attraction in my heart for the world i'm very serious about that and so I, that's something I have to watch out for. And I think it's something we all feel, be careful about. The Lord, to, to focus on the Lord. The Psalm says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires, the focus, the passions of your heart. He will develop those. And so that's, that's what I want to do. And that's what I try to do. And I think that's important for all of us to do that. It's a serious, serious perception. It really is. Because we are an evangelical church. We could be in this, this category. You know, we could be loving ourselves instead of loving the Lord. And so it's a, it's really a, a serious examination. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense to you? The, the, the Lord is, is quite clear here. Here's the amen. He is the faithful and true witness. And uh, he is the source of God's creation. And so we want to listen to him. Well, let's, let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Father, I've been running on 90 miles an hour because I have a lot to say in this. It needs to be said, and I'm not good at saying it, but I do I do thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you that you are clear, that you don't study, not stutter, and that you don't make mistakes when you communicate, 
Help us to, to be in touch with you. Help us to listen to you. Help me to listen to you. And help. I pray that your word would go forth. As, as we're looking at this, and we'll look at it next week, finish it up perhaps, but I do pray that this church, this church, Blue Ridge Bible Church, will be evaluated accurately by you, that we will understand what you are saying to us and how we are to obey you and how we are to, to exalt the Savior. We love him. We want him to be the focal point. We want him to be the source. We're not, we're not asking that we can do it. We don't, we don't want to be like the church at Laodicea that had everything they need and come to find out they really didn't have anything of what they needed. They were poverty stricken. They needed you. And uh, we, we know that intellectually. Help us in our life and in our ministry, in our families, in our work, to realize that in practical terms, and that uh, instead of seeing us work, we would see you work in us and to us, and that our relationship to you would be real and it would bear fruit because you are the source of the supply. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your mercy and grace and your blessing upon this week. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.